Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen, joined today by a bunch of great people, as per usual, my good friend Mason, laughing at something, Bradford also here, and uh, joining me now, the, the, the former, more regular co-host of this podcast, but always a co-host in my heart, and a man I love dearly. It is Trey Watkins of many, many different publications in the Nashville area, of which are the names are escaping my head right now, but has done excellent coverage for the Titans all year long. And now the season comes to an end. I thought we'd have him on. How you doing, Trey? I'm doing all right. I'm just glad this season's over with. I, I had to sit through and watch one of the worst offenses I've ever seen at least try to look competent week after week. So um, I'm just glad it's over. I- I'm glad it's over. I'm just ready for the offseason in all honesty. The yes, Batman's talk- gone. They fired him today. So I- hopefully hopefully <laughs> there'll be better seasons in your near future. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Talk- we'll talk about that shortly. Today's episode is going to be about two things. Black Monday and the head coaching openings around the league, as well as some coordinator changes and general manager changes. But also, I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but over the past, maybe the lifetime, I'll just call it the lifetime of this podcast, because it has been about six years at this point. This has got to be the quietest Black Monday I can remember. Would you guys agree with that? I just feel like not a lot of especially in the big chairs head coaches just not that much happened over the past 48 hours it's because a lot of it like there was i think there was just like the the in-season coach firings that really that really make the number look like smaller i think i mean wait there was a few coaches that got it's asked. only it's I did the averages. Over about the past five years, there's an average usually of eight head coaching positions that okay, come up. Thank you. That come available. This year it's only five. It's very uh, it is a very, very slow year. Now, of course, we, we still have to wait on Sean McVay. We'll get to that later. The Cowboys could implode. There could be some changes there. But uh, other than that, there it's just it's been a very, very quiet Black Monday. So in lieu of that, we will be also doing our NFC playoff preview, going through and asking some big questions about all the NFC playoff teams. Bradford is dying a little bit inside, cringing, being like, oh my God, I'm not going to get to talk about the Chiefs today. Don't worry, Bradford. On Wednesday, we will get together. I'm trying to think of who somebody else to bring on as a special guest. Maybe I don't know who who yet but i'm formulating maybe another guest being brought on we will talk about the afc and i'm sure because the afc has so many fascinating teams that podcast will drag on for an hour and a half so expect that on wednesday and then we'll get together on i haven't decided whether it's gonna be thursday or friday yet but we'll get together for a quick 45 minute podcast where we just talk about all the games going on on wildcard weekend so as is per tradition this is the busiest podcast week of the year bradford are you ready for that this is it's it's almost a podcast tonight to be honest with you over the over the next week here and then throughout the playoffs i plan on doing at least two podcasts a week so uh 
get ready. This is this is the stretch run, and then we'll take our traditional break uh, early in February after we finish up the Super Bowl. Luck- luckily, my my school has not like it's just the start of the semester, so it hasn't really launched into full chaos yet. So I will have the time to. I will. I I will. I set out on a quest to do this with you, and I will fulfill that journey to its conclusion this season. Oh, that's... and hopefully more seasons. Not yeah, I just was about this to one. say that was extremely <laughs> ominous. But I will. I will. I will continue to appear on the End Zone Podcast program for the near future that I can conceptualize. I hope to have you many here podcasts in... in the next couple of weeks. I hope to have you here until you die, Bradford. That's that's uh, you've signed a lifetime contract. <laughs> for a second I was concerned we had to go on Bradford watch in the off season as well. <laughs> All right. Let's get to it. Lots of head coaching changes. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read through uh and just We'll touch base on all the head coaches that were fired. And then uh, we'll we'll briefly touch on coordinators and GMs, and then we can move on to the NFC. Head coaches that have been fired. The Arizona Cardinals earlier today, today, the actual date of Black Monday, only one head coach gets fired. That is Cliff Kingsbury fired after uh, several seasons with the Arizona Cardinals going 28, 37 and one in that span and reaching the postseason only once they of course lost that game to the Rams last year, the Carolina Panthers earlier in the year, the first coach to be fired on October 10th, Matt rule was fired after going 11 and 27 over two plus years with the franchise, Nathaniel Hackett, the Denver Broncos head coach fired after a 4-11 and start in his first season with Denver and being summarily blown out on Christmas Day by the Los Angeles Rams. And then late last night, after winning a game that knocked the Houston Texans down <laughs> to the number two overall pick, Lovey Smith fired by the Houston Texans. Nick Casario retained. He will be in charge of a head coaching hire. Somewhat unheard of, he will hire three head coaches in his tenure, just something that's totally wild and and not something you see in the NFL happen very often in fact it's it's sort of unprecedented and then of course the Indianapolis Colts Reich fired on November 7th uh after starting 3-5 and one he had a 40-33 and one record over his several seasons with uh the Colts and a 1 and 2 postseason record so those are the head coaches that are gone. Start with you, Trey, as you are our esteemed guest. Of all the moves that have happened over the past, let's call it three months, which have you been the most surprised by? Um, that's tough. I, I mean, like, for traditional standards, you have to go hack it, right? Because it's not really uh, usual that you see first-year head coaches being fired. Uh, yeah, we've seen first-year head coaches like have like or put out a crap job coaching, coaching them, having a crap job coaching a team, uh, and then they get canned in the offseason after one year. But Hackett got canned literally in season. Like, I what was it like? 
two, three games before the season ended. So that, by traditional standards, I would probably have to go Haggett there. Um, honestly, the other one I was kind of surprised by, but, you know, I guess in retrospect, not really. Probably Frank Reich. I thought Frank Wright would at least survive into the offseason. Um, and, you know, I, I truly feel for him, honestly, because I don't think a lot of the situation that went down was really his fault. He had some problems with play calling, uh, but I, I think the whole main picture and the main uh, suspect and why the Colts have been so bad over the past couple of years uh, has really been Chris Ballard, and he still has a job there, and he's not getting canned anytime soon, so... Um, I, I think Reich's firing is still one that I'm kind of shocked by when I look over the facts. Uh, but by traditional standards, yeah, it, it's hacking for me because you, you just don't see any first-year head coaches being canned before their first season ends in charge. Like, that's really rare, really rare. But Hackett was bad, really bad. So I, I guess it's not that much of, a, much of a surprise. But to me, it, it kind of was. So Yeah. That was a kind of leading question by me. I didn't think anything was super surprising out of all these head coach firings. I, I did want to touch briefly on the Cliff Kingsbury firing because that's something um, that that's something that you and I, Trey, we, we've kind of in this version of the podcast that has now gone on so long, we've had so many different people come on and be part of it. In your era of this podcast, I would say there has been very few head coaches that have been more punching bags on this podcast than Cliff Kingsbury. I think from the very beginning, both you and I kind of sniffed him out as a guy that was not very good at his job and not very good at designing offenses. And it is kind of crazy to think, but despite injuries, you know, the Arizona Cardinals have had Kyler Murray for about four years now, and they've made the playoffs exactly one time. You just look at that Arizona situation and they fired, uh, well, Steve Kahn resigns. You just wonder what the future of that franchise holds, especially with Kyler coming off an injury and in the age of, mass movement like we saw last season in the NFL I'll just throw this question out to the group do you think there's a chance that perhaps this is the end of just an entire era in Arizona and the the, the Cardinals could potentially make a move to try and, and, and totally rebuild and move on from Kyler Murray as well this offseason I think the logic of moving on from Kyler I, I think it would be unwise to do it coming off an injury like that. I feel like you're not going to get what you could get for him if he was healthy. And so I would not be surprised. I, I think the Cardinals are definitely going to give the Kyler Murray another year, the Kyler Murray thing another year. I mean, I, I think I think he's showing flashes of being a guy that you can really build around. It's been inconsistent. But, I mean, also, it's like you're saying, he had Cliff Klingsbury, who is in, clearly completely incapable of building – uh, uh, respectable program. So I think, I think, especially since Kyler has flashed as much as he has more than most Cardinals QBs ever have, he has uh, the draft pedigree of being a first overall pick. I think he'll definitely get another chance with another coach. And if that goes wrong, then I think your vision may come to fruition. But for now, I, I imagine he stays a Cardinal. 
I don't know. I, I mean, I think the fact that they have the third overall pick kind of makes a bit of a difference in all of that. If they can look through this draft and they can find a quarterback who they really feel, I mean, because they're getting a new GM, they're getting a new head coach. You know, Kyler's not their dude. And, and so if they see a guy in the draft who they think that's the guy we could tie our future to, it wouldn't be terribly surprising to see Kyler out, maybe not this year, but next year, you know, keep him over as, you know, the guy to to play in front of the heir apparent, try to go the Pat Mahomes route of let him sit for a year. But, you know, bring him in when stuff gets bad or when Kyler inevitably ends up injured for a game or two and then hand the team over to him from there on out. But I wouldn't be terribly surprised if they tried to move on him sooner rather than later. Yeah, that, that's an interesting sort of proposition to really bring up. I never really thought about it, but, you know, just hearing everybody's discussion about it makes me really open up to the idea of that really becoming a reality. I, I think the thing is, is that like Bradford said, uh, you, you you can't really trade him this offseason and really recoup any sort of massive amounts of draft capital that you might want. Uh, just, you know, just like you said, he's coming off an injury, a lower, a serious lower leg injury. So, um, like Brad said, probably have to give the Kyler Murray experiment in Arizona another year. Um, but that's an interesting proposition, given that Arizona doesn't have a lot of draft capital. Their roster is bad. Their offensive line isn't good. Uh, their defense is about average. Um, you have some talent on that on that defense, but it's not anything overwhelming or anything that might jump off the board at you. Uh, and you know the whole experiment with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, you just don't know how many years DeAndre Hopkins has left. I mean, I I know DeAndre Hopkins is a freak of nature, and uh, he surprises and he's surpassed everyone's expectations of him consistently over the past half decade plus. But he's getting older. Uh, and you just don't know how many more years DeAndre Hawkins can keep up this level of play, you know, specifically this elite wide receiver level type of play. So um, maybe the Cardinals recognize that, cut their losses for Kyler Murray and really go full rebuild, which is probably something uh, that I, I'm sure Cardinals owner uh, Michael Bell will probably have to really seriously uh, embrace because, like I said, that that roster just isn't all that great right now. Um, and you just fired your head coach. You're bringing in a GM that has to work with an expensive quarterback coming off an injury, an aging wide receiver who didn't have the best production, um, even even after coming back from that suspension he got. Um, not a lot of draft capital and a roster just isn't all that great. So um, that that's certainly a situation and a scenario that I really want to think about more over the next couple of months with the Cardinals because that, that situation just doesn't look all that encouraging in all honesty. Yeah. To be honest with you, it, it would be so easy to start a rebuild right now because you think about who has the number one overall pick and the Chicago bears are most certainly trying to trade down. They probably don't want to go much further than five or six because they want a high quality defensive player. It doesn't take that much to move up two spots. You can usually get away with by with doing that with a first round pick, a second round pick, and like a future second. I don't know. Is it crazy to think that they could say, "Listen, we Kyler wasn't really working out this year, and we had concerns about him with the video game contract drama this off season." Like, 
it just wouldn't. And you think about teams that need quarterbacks this offseason. They could very easily trade up to number one, take Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, and then deal Kyler Murray to the highest bidder. And think about a team like the New York Jets. What would the New York Jets give up to get Kyler Murray? Like, or or, or a team like the new, well, the New Orleans Saints don't have draft assets, which is, kind of takes them out of running. Or you think about a team like, like the Raiders, who are rumored to be wanting to go after Tom Brady, or potentially even the Packers now with with the way Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth were talking about Aaron Rodgers last night. I really do think there's a good chance that the Cardinals just say, new coach, new GM, let's just totally blow this thing up and, and start and start from scratch. Because the, the roster is not a few pieces away from winning a Super Bowl. It, it It's going to take a teardown. So uh, I I just found that to be extremely interesting. Uh, next, I thought we could just talk about the Lovey Smith situation very quickly. Um, <laughs> all time, all time, fuck you moment. Incredible. Like that's 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 what I will remember Lovey Smith for forever. <laughs> yeah, uh, it it was just a wild moment. Him winning that game and screwing them out of the first. Uh, overall pick and then and then he gets fired but the night after the Texans sure they get rid of the Deshaun Watson distraction but this is still not a good franchise like this is just a very poorly run franchise from the top down and that starts with ownership and the fact that Cal McNair is just not a good owner and there's no stability there and you just kind of ask yourself, like, I know these jobs are limited, but what does a guy like they're rumored to be interviewing a guy like D'Amico Ryans? Like, does D'Amico Ryans actually want to go coach the Houston Texans, a team that is just fired back to back first year head coaches? I, I It just feels like who would want to take that coaching position right now? There's there's no guarantee of security there because say they they whiff on the first round pick this year Casario probably gets fired next year and then that and then they sweep out the coach with them like the Texans to me are just in still an impossible spot I know they there's a lot of kind of weird hope around them with, with getting guys like John Mechie next year and like having some talented young players and having lots of high quality draft picks I, I still don't think for a coach it's a super safe and honestly desirable position to go coach. Do you guys feel the same way about that, Mason? I absolutely do. I I if all the uh coaching firings, uh I thought this one might have been one of the more short sighted and a little ridiculous. Like I know that that team was bad, but that was far and away not entirely his fault and it's not like the cupboards are all of a sudden going to be full next year so like how are you going to get a quality candidate who really wants to come in there knowing that it's probably a two to three year project at the very least before you're even mildly competitive and 
yeah, you don't know that you're not going to get fired after the first year for not being super competitive that time. It's going to be so hard for them to get any quality candidate in that door who's actually serious about that job. Bradford? Yeah, I well, here's the thing I'd say. I agree with all the points that you made. However, I think, as is the case with most NFL rebuilds, and you're talking about coaches wanting to go there, that this was the way we were talking about the Jaguars, like – uh, the past two years, right? You get a guy that's a guy, the whole narrative changes because then, of course, a coach would want to go there. And I think, yes, it is a poorly run franchise from the ownership and all that. But I mean, their draft, I mean, they, they have, they have a lot of assets coming in from the Deshaun thing. I mean, they got, they got some nice picks this year. They're going to have two nice picks next year, I think. I, I don't know. I, I feel like, Obviously, they're in a tough spot. It is a bad franchise. But if they make a couple of the right moves here, I don't think it's as bleak as you make it sound. You know, I mean, it definitely would have been nice to have that first overall pick. That that would have come in handy. And I, I can envision in my head some kind of nightmare scenario in which the Colts or maybe even the Titans move up to that pick and snipe Bryce Young away from them. I think especially the Colts, I, I feel like, I feel like they could very easily like try and go for the, oh, you break up with this girl, you date someone completely different. No more old veteran. Let's just blow it all on a first overall pick kind of QB and see if that changes things for us in Indy. And I think that would be a nightmare scenario for the Houston, for the Houston Texans. But assuming the Texans get a QB that looks kind of promising, things can turn around very fast. So if there is any Texans, Texans fans out there, listening to this i don't i don't know if there is any texans fans out there period but if they are (laughs) and if they stumbled upon this program i think there is a slight tiny bit of hope for you personally that would have been my big pushback would have been you know they don't have trevor lawrence sitting in there yeah i just no they don't i I just totally disagree with the jags comparison well even if it's not someone as good as trevor like i i feel like when a team has a couple of nice young pieces and it has a lot of draft capital, things can turn around fast. Think about the Jets. Maybe that's a better comparison. I mean, they don't, they still don't have their quarterback, but people are feeling pretty positive about the Jets right now, right? Like you can, if you make some smart picks, things can turn around very fast. Now, I agree with you in, in not having much faith in the, in the Texans making those picks, but it they do have a chance here to build out of this darkness, I think, whereas the Cardinals are in a much tougher spot. Yeah, I mean, you've watched this team very closely being within the division trade. Do, do you see any bright spots on this roster? I really think the whole national media, like talking up the Texans roster is having a few nice guys on it is like way overblown. I don't see hardly really any talent on this roster. Yeah, that, that Texans roster isn't like, dog crap like it isn't a roster where you could literally take some toilet paper and just wipe through it bro like it's not that bad but it's still a really bad roster they got some some young pieces there uh from the last draft that they had and, and i'm sure that they're pretty encouraged by the progress they made this year specifically regarding those players um and they would be right to do so uh, the texans look look really the thing with the texans is that uh, it, it's hard to find any sort of confidence in any sort of good future direction with this team 
because you know one because of their history and their recent history and how it's been so bad and two it's just because the nucleus that they have going down from owner to gm uh, and all the way down to the process of how they run things i, I mean cal mcnair literally is just months removed from having his whole weird relationship with uh, gosh i can't that that weird pastor easter b yes Months <laughs> removed from having his whole weird relationship publicly blasted and put out in the open so everybody could clown him, the organization, and the way things are run down there. Um, it, it was so bad that he had to can him, had to bring him Nick Casario, who, in all honesty, I mean, hasn't really impressed many. So, I don't know. It, it's just a weird, weird sort of vibe with the Texans. Um, like Braver said, if you get a couple falls here and there, maybe some luck as well, you'll be on a good direction 100%. But the Texans in recent memory just haven't been able to even put the right step forward with the basic things, the simple things that make an organization respectable and competent. So uh, I, I just don't know. I mean, we'll see. Um, certainly this draft will give them a chance to put their foot in the right direction, but I wouldn't blame you if you said you just don't have any confidence in this organization to really set themselves on the right path because there's just there's just so much weird stuff going on and they just don't run things the right way that uh, it just turns into a disaster more times than not. So, absolutely. All right. Before we move to the NFC here, obviously a bunch of um, guys get mentioned for these jobs every year. Also, Trey, I just wanted to just mention briefly some of the coordinators fired. Uh, <laughs> Joe Woods fired. That was the most notable offensive, uh, defensive firing. And then offensively, Todd Downing, of course, gets let go. Um, you've talked several times before about uh, that this Titans offense what needs to happen for them to become a, you know, a watchable group again? Because to me, I, I feel like the Titans have one of the most fascinating off seasons ahead. Um, like I, I do feel if there was ever a time to maybe think about making a move from Ryan Tannehill towards something different, that's not Malik Willis because Malik Willis has been shown to not really have have what it takes necessarily. Um, this year might be the year with quarterbacks available, with several veteran quarterbacks like say a Derek Carr. What what do you see the Texans doing? The Titans doing this offseason? I feel like they kind of have the most pressure out of anyone in the NFL to just get a lot better and revamp very quickly. Yeah. Uh, their option is going to be so intriguing to really follow. Uh, because like you said, you know, of course you were talking about the quarterback spy, which obviously has so much uh, uncertainty and so many questions surrounding it, but really just the whole team in general. Um, of course they fired Todd Downing, who, <laughs> I mean, if you, uh, Followed a lot with Titans fans over the past couple of years. They certainly weren't all that pleased with his performance as play caller. And, you know, just me as an objective journalist and writer, just watching this team, he just wasn't good at his job either. So um, they deservedly fired Todd Downing. 
Uh, but aside from that, I mean, they just have so many questions. I mean, they still don't have a general manager. Um, they've reportedly uh, been interested in a couple of candidates uh, from uh, a variety of different teams, and we'll see how that shakes out. But they have to start with the GM. Then they have to start with the quarterback questions. They have to uh, at least think of a plan to rebuild the offensive line, which was awful, poor. Uh, any sort of negative word you can come up with to describe that offensive line, I, it certainly would be apl- applicable uh, for this group because it was just poor. Um, of course, you have to address the wide receiver group as well. Um, Traylon Burks was really the only wide receiver that can create some separation and give this group a pulse whenever they needed one. And because he was so oft injured and because the play caller was, you know, not really all that great. And because the quarterback spot had so many revolving doors at it this season, he wasn't even able to make a dent in his rookie season either. So um, j- just a, a bad combination of events for Traylon Burks to really just step in and have a good rookie season. So um, that that's certainly a- another sort of question that this offense has, but even on the defensive side, um, David Long, who was certainly one of the team's best defensive players over the past couple of seasons, he's a free agent. Um, they have to cut Bud Dupree, who was signed to a fat deal uh, just this last offseason. They have to cut him loose. Um, he's often injured, hasn't performed really well up to the standard of his contract. So uh, we certainly know what should happen with him, but we don't know really for sure what's going to happen with him. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons needs a new deal. Um, the, the corner situation is still a little bit a little bit uncertain. Uh, there's just so many questions with this team, with this roster, with this organization that um, it's certain all of them certainly aren't going to be answered um, in one offseason because there's just too many. The Titans don't have enough draft capital and cap room to really address it. Uh, but certainly there has to be an effort towards at least making a dent in most of these, because if they aren't, then forget the seven wins they got this year. Um, If they don't really address these problems that they have, like in a, in a basic uh, and necessary way, then seven wins might be a stretch for them next off next season, Uh, because this roster is just not all that great. Uh, It's not all that great. Like I said, they don't have too many draft picks. They don't have a lot of cap room. Uh, it's just a weird sort of bleak outlook with a little bit of optimism mixed in for the Titans. So uh, it, it'll be an interesting 100%. First, we have to see who the new zero manager is. Then we go from there. But right now, it, it's just a, a weird outlook for this Titans team this offseason. I'm, I'm curious, Trey, <clears throat> uh, not what you think will happen, but what would you like to see happen with Tannehill in the quarterback position? Like, what would be your preference? That's That's tough. Because on one end, um, next season, if if let's say you do decide to uh, ship Tannehill out, I mean, who would you bring in? I mean, do you bring in a, another veteran like Jimmy Garoppolo or a Derek Carr or that's just worse, Ryan Tannehill? <laughs> yeah, I mean, or even shoot for the stars and like bring, try to bring in Tom Brady or something. I mean, I I don't know. I I don't know what you do if you try to ship out Tannehill. Uh, Aaron Rodgers seemed a little unhappy. <laughs> he might be a little too expensive for them. Uh, he would be an option if he was a little bit cheaper, but they just don't have the cap room to bring his contract in. Um, like, and even if you do ship out Ryan Tannehill, if you don't want to bring in a veteran option, I mean, who do you get? I mean, do you hope Malik Willis makes some strides in the offseason uh, and can really step into that offense and 
you know, not look awful like he did this this season in limited action. I just don't know. It's just so weird. You know, even if you bring back Tannehill, his cap hit for 2023 is astronomical. It, it's crazy for a quarterback, you know, of his skill set and of his stature. So um, there's just so many avenues that you can do with Tannehill's situation that uh, um, either one is going to certainly lead to more questions and uh, more uncertainty, 100%, which for a team that wants to get back to where they were, um, just last season, even seasons prior, um, you certainly don't want that 100%. So, um, we'll see what happens with Ryan Tannehill. If I had to, you know, say my my gut feeling on it, I, I think they try almost every avenue to bring him back because I don't think this team, well, for right now, specifically Mike Vrabel, is really in love with Malik Willis. Um, Willis's skill set just doesn't fit this offense, doesn't fit what this system and this philosophy He's non-functional as a quarterback it's just not- at least right now he isn't and that was going to be always i think that was always going to be the deal when he came out of the draft um he was always going to be insanely raw uh, the system he played in in college just wasn't uh, uh really helpful in terms of um the transition for college to the nfl so um at least in year one he certainly wasn't going to be um, a, a finished product, but going into year two, I don't even know if he's going to be able to step on the field in year two because he was just so bad year one. So um, I, I certainly don't don't want to write someone off, especially when they have the athletic tools that Willis has, but it, it just looks kind of hard to see um, what kind of road he has to becoming a starter in Tennessee. You know, well, forget being a starter in Tennessee, but just being a starter period in this thing. So um <laughs> It's just so odd. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, but my my gut feeling. If I was in a Titans front office, I would try every last possible every last possible uh, scenario to bring Tannehill back and then assert your options after that. So, how would right. you feel about someone like Baker Mayfield? <laughs> maybe 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 if the Titans had a had a receiver like AJ Brown, things things would be better, you know. You know, I was I was trying to be nice in the thought of like if you could have a solid run game where it's not in his hands most of the time. Yeah. That's what they you tried to win do, a few though. games with him. Yeah. That's know, what they tried fair. to do this year. But teams just stacked up on the running game. The Titans didn't have no wide receivers, so they just teams just stacked up on the running game and forced Ryan Tannehill in the passing game to carry that offense, and it just didn't work. So <laughs> that's that's the deal, man. Yeah, it's a tough spot. Yeah, real tough spot. All right, I wanted to get into some coaching candidates, but I really don't want this to go super long. So we're going to move on to our NFC playoff kind of look ahead. And then on, on Wednesday, we'll t- at the beginning of the podcast, we'll just touch briefly on. And, and we'll get some more names, too. I'm sure that emerges as head coaching candidates. We'll, we'll talk about some that intrigue us. But let's move to the NFC playoffs. Real quick, before we move on from the coaching thing, can I have one really small rant? Yeah, of course. Go for it. If... Sean McVay, quote-unquote, retires, takes a year off, comes back, and earns the Rams a bevy of first-round picks that they get to reload with, I'm going to be furious over it. Because then it's like, oh, we can get some hitman coaching here, mortgage our future away, have him win us a Super Bowl, and then have him bail on us for a year or two, come back, trade for some more picks, and then get back in the game faster. I won't have it. I don't like it. It's too much like Madden franchises. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm done now. I, I, I wouldn't be as mad about that because I think the NFL is more fun when Los Angeles teams are good, and I'd like to see the Sean McVay coach somewhere else. Um, I'd like to see him coach somewhere else. I think that'd be fun too. But yeah, I, all I right. I think McVay just sees the writing on the wall in LA, and I think that's killing his motivation a lot. Like, I feel like LA's future is really is really dark, but. Don't worry, the Broncos are about to give him a levy of picks for McVay, so they'll be, they'll be. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to talk about that. The whole Sean Payton D- Denver thing too is just. <laughs> How do you feel about that? I, okay. I saw that. I saw we'll, that. We'll talk about like, that think... because that's really the only head coaching thing I want to talk about. Is like people just don't understand. Like Sean McVay and Sean Payton, for that matter, are both under contract. They're assets for the teams that currently have them under contract. It is not like Sean Payton is just a free agent and he can pick wherever he wants to go. That's that's just not the way this works. He is going to cost one to two first-round picks and probably a second-round or two. And for the Broncos to do that, especially after giving up their first-round pick this year, just makes no sense, especially if you don't know what Russell Wilson is going forward. Because say they suck again next year with Sean Payton as their head coach, they may have no way to get out of it again because they, they don't have a first round pick. It is just insanely stupid for anyone to think that the Broncos' best course of action is to trade assets for a head coach. They are not, they are nowhere near that stage. Yeah, that that stage is meant for teams that believe they are a head coach away. The the, the Denver Broncos are not a head coach away. It, it it's just, and honestly, if they trade for Sean Payton, sure, I'll be happy Sean Payton's the head coach, but I'll also just be deeply furious that they leveraged the future for a head coach. Which, I mean. I guess that's a good idea, but it doesn't doesn't feel like one. So that's what I have to say on that. All I right, that's fair. Let's yeah. get to the NFC. I just had some questions about all these teams that I thought I'd throw out here, and I'm gonna keep an eye on the clock here. We started talking at about six forty-five. I'm pretty sure. So it's been about half an hour almost. I don't want to spend more than half an hour here. So I've got an eye on the clock, and I want to wrap this up by about 7.45 my time. So let's start. Do we want to start at the bottom or start at the top? I'll I'll let you pick, Trey. Oh, start at the bottom because the bottom, bottom might be a little bit more interesting, honestly, with the way this playoff picture is shaping up. Great. Let's talk about the bottom of the NFC. The Seattle Seahawks make it into the playoffs, their win over the Rams, and the Packers lost to the Lions on Sunday night, guarantee that. My question for us here is this. It's been a magical run for the Seahawks. Things could not have gone any better for them. They got out of Russell Wilson. They got a ton of picks. They picked up Geno Smith. Geno Smith had a career year for them. And now they're a playoff team. The defense has been stellar over the past uh, four weeks. I believe they're 
eighth in DVOA against passing attacks, which is crazy given the fact that their cornerback room has gotten extremely thin over the past few weeks as well. My main question for the Seahawks is this, and this is just for the group, whoever wants this can jump on in. It's for playoffs now. This is where ultimately we decide who can and can't play the guitar. Does Geno Smith make his statement and say, yes, I am an NFL starting level quarterback, or is this where he writes back? I mean, I mean, I think that it could go either way. And I don't think that it should detract from them moving forward, seeing Gino as their starter for next year. Because there's been plenty of quarterbacks who got to the dance the first time and had a pretty bad run of it and then moved forward and got better, learned from the experience and moved on. Obviously, my personal experience with Josh Allen being mine, you know, colors that a little bit. But there's been plenty of others who lost their first go in there. Um, whether or not he's going to, I think is going to be pretty tough. I mean, that San Francisco team is absolutely no joke. And so that's a tough defense to really work it on. So I don't know that I expect him to look, you know, high caliber like he had for some of the year, but I think no matter what happens, like they got to move forward, assuming he's their starter for next year and just ride that train as long as they can. I'm, I think that it doesn't really like. I, I think Gino's already proven that he he's a he's a starting quarterback in the league. Like I think, I think whatever happens against an absolutely unbelievable Niners team, like I don't, I don't think it really matters how Gino plays. To be honest with you, I really only see one result for this game, and uh, I think that. Gino's already, I, I I don't think Gino, Gino has to write back. I think he is, I mean, he, he set the, the Seahawks all-time passing yards record this year, which is hilarious. He <laughs> played really good in most of his starts. He, I, I think a lot of teams would have been very happy to have the performance Gino gave instead of what they got out of their quarterback. So I don't think Gino needs this game to prove anything. I, I think I think the Seahawks should keep him around, and I think he's he's earned it. The Seahawks. Um, oh, oh my! Sorry, oh. sorry, Trey. It's all good. Uh, I I just want to say this. It matters to me how quarterbacks perform in the playoffs, and if Gino just looks average, you have a high enough draft pick. If a quarterback falls to you somehow, I think you have to explore that option. I really do think I need to see something like Gino needs to basically have over 250 yards and two or more touchdowns against a really good San Francisco team for me to believe in a big playoff game where the nation's eyes are on him for me to believe that he's the guy moving forward. I I just, I, I still need to see a little bit more from him. I, I personally, it's been a fun year, but I just, don't have faith that he can repeat this coming into into future years. There's just too big of a sample size of him being a meh quarterback for me to believe he can be a a borderline top ten guy for rest of his career. I don't think he has to be a borderline top ten guy. I think just like upper half. You know, I, I feel like 
I feel like I do have faith that this can continue for a few years because I think he changed so much about himself, like uh, quarterback play-wise. I mean, the amount of times he made some beautiful throw, like rolling out of the pocket or, or made like a key scramble with his legs. Like, I think, I think he sh- he's proven that in the time he spent working on his game, he added more dimensions to it that I think changes the argument of just using the sample size from before where, yeah, he was pretty bad. But I, I think he really worked on on improving, and I think the fruits of that paid off. And I don't know why they can't continue to pay off into future years. I'm not saying he's a superstar, but I'm saying the Broncos might have made the playoffs if they had Geno Smith. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's kind of arbitrary to put uh, stat lines out there for a playoff game. What, what if he goes for 249 yards? What if he goes for 248? What's the exact yardage that you need to believe in him? It's it's ridiculous when you really like uh, uh, scale players down to stats on that atomic of a level. So I don't know. I mean, Tannehill, Tannehill had a playoff implosion last year, and it's not like you look at Tannehill like he's he's some disaster that can't be tra- – it just it happens, you know? And I, I think it's unfair to wash away an entire season of play uh, for having a mediocre game against the best defense in football. That's just how I feel about it. Trey? No, I really agree with what Bradford said, honestly. Um, Gino's been really, really good this year, and he's having a season that no one expected him to have. You know, not especially not after uh, the total debacle that he had with the Jets uh, and just how his career really spiraled into oblivion after that. So, um Regardless, and, and you know, you know, of course, Geno can have an implosion like Tannehill did last year. Um, but if he does have that, then you just can't really take away from what he really did this season because this is a season that nobody expected him to have, and I don't think this is the season he might have not expected himself to have. Um, because just what has happened in the past and just the uncertainty that he had, um, just stepping back into the spotlight as a starting quarterback. Uh, with all all the things that's happened to him and all all the negative things that have really came down and rained down on him, so um, can't really take away from the season what Gino had. I say that, <laughs> but uh, I, I really hope that he can at least, if he does lose, and you know, I always I really think the Forty ers win, um, but I always have to leave room for if. But if, if he does lose, um, you can only hope that he goes out having at least a good game, at least a good game, not a bad game where he's um, a negative detriment for his team. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens, but you can only hope Gino goes out playing well so you can at least carry it into next season and who knows, maybe some more season beyond. All right. It's good for conversation on the Seahawks. We'll we'll see how deep they can go in this playoffs. They got a tough matchup against the 49ers, which we'll, we'll get to uh, later. The Giants, my question for the group here, I'll throw this to, to Bradford first because I'm curious to see what he has to say about this. Can the Giants make a run considering they're playing their best football right now? And it, let me just expand on that. I believe Daniel Jones right now over the past month has played the best football of his career hands down. He is a top half starting NFL quarterback and he's played – really really well he has very limited weapons around him he's using his legs 
But the key thing is he's not making dumb mistakes. And and that's been a, a consistent factor throughout this year. He has not had turnover issues and he has not taken terrible sacks or put his teams in really bad positions. I'll wait for Bradford to stop chewing. But uh, l- let me, I just think that the Giants are a really interesting team to watch in the playoffs, especially because they get the Vikings and the Vikings have been so up and down this year. Bradford, do you think the Giants could make a little bit of a run, upset someone, and maybe play a tight game with the Philadelphia Eagles in in two weeks, potentially? I mean, if you're asking me whether or not they can upset a team when the team they're playing is maybe the most fraudulent team I have ever seen in my entire lifetime of watching football, yeah. I mean, I agree what you said about Daniels. I don't know about the top half. I think sample size probably drags him down a little bit in that regard, but he's been playing really solid. Like the Giants are such a well-coached team and the uh, the the vision for the program that Dable had is, is really coming together. And I, I do think they could catch the Vikings on a, on an off. I mean, the last game these teams played came down to what? Was it like a 60-yard field goal? I don't. I don't really give the Giants much of a chance in a, in a game against the Eagles. I, I feel like the the Eagles just – I'm not saying the Giants won't play as hard as the Eagles, but the Eagles – the talent imbalance is just too large to ignore. I mean, one has an MVP-tier quarterback and just the best roster in football, and the other one – listen, the Giants play hard, they play better than their roster, and they are perfectly capable of winning a game here. Uh, so – I think regardless of what happens, you got to look at this season as a resounding victory, right? Uh, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't really see a world in which they make it to like a championship game personally, but regardless of that, like just an impressive season that I don't really think a single person saw coming. This guy did. You did. Oh, oh okay. Respect on the name. Because Brian Dayball was awesome here, and I had faith that he was going to go be awesome elsewhere. No, I'd be lying if I thought Daniel Jones was going to be who he was this year. That, that's total BS. But no, I had hopes that Brian Dayball was going to go there and bring some of what he did here there and, and, and make it kind of work out. And it seems like he really has. He's got the team to kind of like do that with. And I, I got to agree with Bradford. If there was a team in this race that they could have been paired against that gives them the best odds to really like pull one out and feel great about themselves, man, it's the Vikings. <laughs> yeah. Ah, sheesh, man. That, that's probably like the best draw that they possibly could have gotten uh, because the Giants play such a, a tough brand of football, but um, not really mistake-free, but they're not totally written by mistakes either, as opposed to teams in the past, uh, specifically Daniel Jones, who um, I- I've crapped on Daniel Jones a lot in the past because I-, I simply just didn't see him becoming just some reliable, consistent, uh, positive option at quarterback that the Giants thought he could be. Um, now looking back on it, maybe that was because, you know, the Giants were writhed in so much negativity and so much chaos with Joe Judge, uh, and with the, with the Maras being so incompetent, you know, and of course, Dave Gettleman being very, very bad at his job, but maybe it just seems like all Daniel Jones needed was a, a good foundation, uh, you know, starting at the top with, 
uh, their new general manager, who's made some really good moves, uh, Brian Dabble, who uh, he's really uh, showcased his resume over the past couple of years, and it's finally showing its effects this season with the Giants. So uh, maybe that's all Daniel Jones needed to look good and play really good football, but um, if, if that's all that was needed, then, <laughs> I mean, congratulations to him, man, because he's playing some really, really good football this year, but most importantly, he's playing a lot of mistake-free football, which um, and that's really been one of his Achilles heel over the past couple of years. Uh, but, but them getting matched up against the Vikings, possibly <laughs> one of the best draws a wildcard team could get for wildcard weekend. Uh, let, let's just rewind a bit back to when the Giants actually went on the road and played against the Vikings. They played the Vikings really, really tough. Really, really tough. They could have and maybe should have won that game. Um, this time, they can really win this game again uh, because the Vikings are just, gosh, man. I, I Look, I like the work that Kevin O'Connell has done this year, uh, but goodness gracious, man. That team is just scraped by so many times, sometimes even against bad teams. So um, it should be interesting to see what the Giants do this weekend because – like we've all alluded to and said before, and they have a good chance of knocking out the Vikings. And then who knows, man, we've seen giants teams that are get in as wild cards uh, and get written off, you know, before the playoffs even begin, they've gone on runs and won Super Bowl. So I'm not saying that's happened to here, but um, th- this Giants team has that similar vibe to it. So we'll see. We'll see. Personally. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like the Vikings are still going to win this game. I, I, I think the Vikings get to live in delusion for one more week. I think <laughs> they're going to pull off a game-winning drive here in this game or get another game win. I just it feels like the magic that they've been building up all season can happen here in this game, and then they get their teeth knocked out in the next round. So <laughs> might might be heartbreaking store for the Giants here, but yeah, this, this is this is not like a, a game that's easy to pick for either team. No, no, no matter what happens either for the Giants, though, they've got like a really nice, bright future ahead of them. Their GM, Joe Schoen, is from um, our Bills staff as well. He was the assistant to Brandon Bean, and he's somebody who Brandon speaks extraordinarily highly of. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine their draft is in extremely good hands as well. So that's a team that's looking to just keep getting better year over year. Yep. All right. Thank you. I think you're going to end up in a really annoying situation here, Mason, like kind of like the Niners are in where they find all their assistants sniped every single year because everybody wants to be like them. Like, I feel like people are just going to keep stealing your guys. Yeah. Got to keep through. Okay. Fake Cowboys. I've wrote a bit of a soliloquy here. Someone please shake me from this slumber. How is this not just the same exact Cowboys story we get every year, comma, yawn? I dude, it poetic. is the same Cowboys story. <laughs> That's pretty poetic of you, Eric. I mean, like, what are we doing here? Like, they looked, Dak Prescott looked absolutely terrible yesterday. Just flat out awful one of the worst performances he's had in his career i would argue and you're asking me to believe in the cowboys like what why why would i ever do that like mike mccarthy is not a good head coach like 
Dan Quinn has gotten this defense to perform uh, above average, but still the defense has slowed down. I mean, Washington was able to move the ball on them yesterday. Like, this is not the team that everyone was hyping up in November. And as I rightfully pointed out in November, you shouldn't have gotten sucked in at all at any point. Like, it's just... Ugh. Sometimes I just wish the Cowboys weren't the Cowboys because if they were literally any other organization, we'd just be able to sweep them under the table and totally forget they existed. But because they're the Cowboys and because they have the tradition and because it's Dallas and because it's football country, we have to pretend like they're this contender from year in and year out. I promise you this. I promise you this. The Dallas Cowboys are about to get embarrassed next Monday night on national television. And Jerry Jones is going to be crying in his little press box. And Mike McCarthy will be gone by Tuesday. What are we doing here? This is just another wasted season. I feel bad for Cowboys fans at this point. It's just such a tortured way to live as a fan base to be just good enough but never actually have a shot. There is absolutely zero way they make it past this first weekend to me. I I mean, and if they do good luck, I guess you're going to go get waxed by the Eagles next week. It's like, what, like, what are we even doing here? I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm so tired of the Dallas Cowboys. I think we all are at this point. I think we're, we're just sick of the, the brand, the Cowboys. We're sick of seeing every single year Cowboys fans screaming that this team is going to be different. Um, th- this team has a good shot to win the NFC East. This team has a good shot to win the NFC. This team will completely erase all the past embarrassments, debacles, and failures that they put out time and time again, year after year. It's never going to happen. Look, it's never going to happen, not until Jerry Jones finally takes his head out of the ground and realizes that the owner can't be the, the strict face of one of the biggest brands of sports on earth. So uh, until Jerry Jones stops his conceited, selfish, narcissistic little path that he set himself down, the Cowboys are never going to amount to anything, nothing. Now, going on to the game, um, Gosh, I, look, man, I I look, if this was any other team the Cowboys were playing, I would say, yes, they're going to get embarrassed because like we alluded to, the Cowboys suck. We hate talking about the Cowboys time and time again. But the team they're playing against this this weekend or excuse me, next Monday night might really give them a, a little bit of an inside track to at least make these interesting for them. Uh, in the playoffs, well, in terms of their playoff success, because you know, I was, I, I believe, in the wild card round, they played the Buccaneers, right? Gosh, I just haven't been well versed on my playoff matchups, but um, the Buccaneers have been awful this year, absolutely awful. And I know that for a fact because while I was doing an internship for a nice little site called A to Z Sports, they had me watching Buccaneers games every Sunday, or at least when I could. And watching Buccaneers games was possibly one of the most mind-bending, brain-frying experiences I've ever had to go through. I I mean, seriously, we talk crap about how bad the Titans offense was. If you popped on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, you would be saying the same thing, maybe worse, man. I I mean, that offense was awful, putrid. 
man. I mean, they couldn't run the ball. They could barely throw the ball because their offensive line is just killed, being killed by injuries. Tom Brady has looked insanely washed so many times this year. And Byron Leftwich might be one of the most clueless offensive coordinators I've ever seen. Literally might be one of the most clueless offensive coordinators I've ever seen. It's hard to make Tom Brady look bad. It's hard to make Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, uh, and, and the rest of that cast of weapons look bad. But he somehow found a way to do it. Maybe that's because he's stuck in this whole mirage of his uh, idea of philosophy. And maybe that's the case. But his philosophy is stuck in the 1970s. Let me tell you something, bud. It, it's not the 1970s no more. 1970s philosophical offensive football just does not work these days. It just doesn't. You'll get slapped. You'll get sent to high hell and get slapped out of the water. The only reason the Buccaneers haven't been embarrassed or, 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 you know, aren't a, a bigger story in terms of embarrassment this year is because, number one, their division is awful, awful. And number two, their defense still has maintained its status as one of the best in football, even while their offense has been awful. So um, I think the Cowboys have a good shot at beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if the Cowboys don't Cowboy. But gosh, man, I'm <laughs> just thinking about that game. I don't even want to watch it, man. Gosh, that matchup's awful. Especially if it turns into some defensive slugfest, that game's gonna be downright unwatchable. You, you know, Brady's this this game is gonna be just Dallas shooting himself in the foot, Tampa being their incredibly incompetent selves, and then Brady's gonna turn it on in the last drive and win. It's it's this is the most scripted game that there possibly could have been in the entire playoffs. Not even close. Literally the only thing that gives me hope about the Cowboys, literally the only thing that gives me hope about the Cowboys is they get an incredibly weak defense offensive line in round one. And Micah Parsons could just take over and be a game wrecker as Micah Parsons is known to do. If that happens, the Cowboys can win this game. And Hey, that might happen. They might win this game, but I, they aren't, they ain't getting farther than the divisional round. And it's like, what? At some point, like, at what point, we've said it enough times, like, Dak Prescott struggles in these big games, and Dak Prescott, he, he's he's a good player, but, like, against, he, he, he puts up most of his good stats against bad teams. Like, at what point are we just going to bite the bullet and be like, okay, like, if the Cowboys want to be something, they have to move on from Dak Prescott. I know that might sound like a little bit of a hot take, but we're at the point in his career where does anyone on the Zoom call think he has the ability to win a Super Bowl? I don't know, but I think like you were asking about Gino, like does he need a good playoff game to move forward as the guy? I think this is the dude who needs a good playoff run to st- to still be someone who should be the guy. Now, I don't know what Dallas is going to do about the whole thing, but man, if he flounders in the playoffs again, like I'm, I'm pretty much out at that point. They've got the team. They could do it with, with uh, a more talented quarterback for sure. It's just like, maybe it's just too much pressure for him. Uh, being the Dallas Cowboys quarterback is a lot of pressure, but it just seems like Dak, in these big moments, especially, just never, never knows how to put it all together. We kind of talked about the Bucks here. Um, 
I'll just throw out my question and we can move on basically. But Tom Brady, he did it two weeks ago. Is he just going to give it all for the playoffs? Defense has been better. What are the chances the Bucs get back to the conference title game? I know that the offense has looked unwatchable, but I just keep going back to that Panthers game. And the offense came back and they were clicking. And sure, it went back to kind of what it was this week. But Tom Brady is Tom Brady. I, I just it had Mike Evans matched against a fourth string corner. I feel like relying on that game is a predictable outcome. I mean, does does uh I know, uh, but just hear me out. Tom Brady's Tom Brady. Like it just would not shock me if he somehow ends up in the conference title game. Until I attend his funeral where he's in two separate boxes, I'm unwilling to believe he's dead. I, I agree. I agree with you there, mate. I, I honestly just remembered a conversation that we had earlier about like Brady missing the playoffs. And I think it was Mason that was just like, <laughs> I was like, I don't believe it. Can't, it. I, I can't, can't. It can't happen. The bad man never really, I don't know. I, at a certain the bad point, man's the bad man and until he's actually gone. He's still in the corner just waiting to steal my soul. Okay. My, and I, I also want to say something there, Bradford. I, I know Mike Evans has a, had a bad year. He was still a thousand yard receiver this year. Like people talk about, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing Mike Evans. No, it's not you. It's it's not game. It's not you, Bradford. But people (laughs) on Twitter and like in the NFL circle talk about Mike Evans like he's some washed up has been. He just wasn't an All Pro this year. Like he's still like his stats this year. Let me just pull them up really quick. Are are kind of insane to be. To be honest with you, like he finished the year with 1,121 receiving yards. He still scored six passing touchdowns. Like, I, I, I don't know. It just, it bugs me the way people talk about Mike Evans. Cause sure he had a down year, but his down year is still a pro bowl t- caliber type season. I mean, there's just no other way around it. He has had thousand year seasons literally since 2014. Every single year of his career, he has had a thousand yard season. I I just and and this season was better than last year for him. I I just don't I don't understand why the public has has flipped on him the way they have because he's he's been even though he's had a few bad moments this year that stick out like the Panthers game with the big drop like. He has still had a really good year. I, I just, they have talent. And I just believe that something crazy and magical and voodoo-ish could happen in the playoffs with Tom Brady as your quarterback. That's how I feel about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Will I pick them a ton? Probably not. But if they just keep showing up and keep surviving, it will not shock me. That That's that's how I feel about the Bucs. Let's talk about, uh, the number three seed, the Minnesota Vikings. I know we talked about him earlier. I'm I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. Y'all are disrespectful to the Minnesota Vikings. I know, I know the DVOA numbers aren't there. They got really lucky this year. They won a bunch of one, one, one score games. Okay, they still won those games. Like they've shown, they have the ability to win close games. In big moments this year, Kirk Cousins has almost always answered the bell. They have an all-pro wide receiver. Their defense 
got slightly better as the year went on. Like, you guys are talking like you'd be absolutely shocked if somehow they're they're not playing on on championship weekend. I I would not be shocked. I just would not be shocked because okay, say they play the Eagles again. That was week two when they got dominated by them. It has been a long time. And I think Kevin O'Connell's a better coach than a lot of people give people credit for. And I'm not here to say, oh, you know, the, the Eagles are going deep in the, the Vikings are going deep in the playoffs. That's not what I believe at all. In fact, I, I find this whole episode entirely pointless because if it's not the Niners and the Eagles in the NFC championship game, something has just gone totally haywire and the matrix is broken. But like everyone's counting out the Vikings. Like they've been good this year. And it just pisses me off that no one can acknowledge that the Vikings are a good team. Like good teams find ways to win. I agree. I I acknowledge they're good. Like I'm not, and I'm I'm not trying to be that disrespectful when I'm like Giants could absolutely win this game. But the Giants could absolutely win this. Eric, I want you to consider this. No, I I I agree with you. And this just listen to this. Just listen to this. This is not directed at you, Bradford. No, 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 no. I know, I know, I know. Everyone hates, loves to hate on the Vikings. They're easy targets. They do. But they're good. They're a good football team. But but here's the thing. All right, so they beat the Packers week one. They get mollywopped by the Eagles. Right. They barely beat the Lions. They barely beat the Saints. They barely beat the Bears. They barely beat, I can't remember if this was the Skylar Thompson Dolphins or the Teddy Bridgewater Dolphins, one of them. They barely beat the Cardinals. They barely beat the Commanders. And then there's that, I I understand, they're winning. But, like, that's not in in vote confidence to me. That ridiculous Bills game, which, yes, they won. But it required some of the most miraculous fluke plays I have ever seen. Literally, maybe the greatest catch in modern NFL history. Then we have them getting just annihilated, annihilated by the Cowboys, barely beat the the Patriots, barely beat the Jets, get crushed by the Lions, that ridiculous Colts-Viking game where, yeah, they came back, but they were down there. That was like two games. They got whooped by the Colts and then whooped the Colts. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that counts as both of them. They barely beat the Giants in a game I thought they deserved to lose. And then they get destroyed by the Packers. And then they comfortably beat the, the backup Chicago Bears. That I understand why people look at that and they're like, well, what happens when they match up against uh, the Eagles? Well, they get absolutely crushed. What happens when they match up against the Cowboys? They get absolutely crushed. So until they make it to the Super Bowl where they can face the Bills and have five of the most miraculous things I've ever seen happen, I don't think this is going to go well for Minnesota. What happens when they play the Niners? They didn't play the Niners this year, but I imagine a Niners-Vikings game this year would have been a 50-burger. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, okay. it's just... It, Let's I, say, I, this is a good transition to the Niners. Here's my only question. Are we really doing with this with Brock Purdy? Yes. This is it. Okay, this is it. This is my last point. This is my last stand. We've never really talked about Brock Purdy. The Niners have actually on this podcast thrown flown way under the radar. I have not watched a ton of the 49ers. I will give you that. But I've watched one or two Brock Purdy games. He's fine. He makes some good throws. He's an okay quarterback. But like 
are we really doing this with Brock Purdy? I, I, a guy who was taken with the last pick in the NFL draft. I just, I don't know. Like they, they've got the most talented roster, but it's not the Eagles. So I expect them to win at least one or two playoff games, but like long-term, this team's not going to win a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. Like what, like what are we doing here? Like I, I, I just, I totally disagree with all the Niners level all of a sudden. I don't get it. I think Brock Purdy is massively overhyped. I will I will admit Brock Purdy is wrong if he comes in and he's dropping 300 yards a game in the playoffs and, and, and blowing teams out. But he's not going to do, do that. He doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to do that because he has one of the most ridiculous teams in the league behind him. Right, but I'm just put saying. Up Mahomes stat lines in the playoffs. To be respected. Birdie is literally an upgrade on Garoppolo. And it was conceivable to believe in the Niners when they had Garoppolo. And now they have better Garoppolo. not an update on Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he is. They're maybe the same quarterback. Okay, well, guess what? When Jimmy Garoppolo was the Niners quarterback, a lot of people were sitting there saying like, wow, this team could easily make the Super Bowl. They just got to get past the Eagles. And I don't see how Brock Purdy has been a significant downgrade on Jimmy Graham. I mean, look at this. Look at this guy. He only played six games, all right? He drops 1,400 yards, 13 touchdowns, four picks. And, yeah, sure, a lot of that helps when you can kind of just hand it a, a little little short pass to Christian McCaffrey and he goes 50 yards or, or Kittle or Debo or any of those things. But look at all these other random late-round quarterback bums that keep showing up in our life the past couple weeks. I didn't see Joshua Dobbs doing this. I didn't see Malik Willis doing this. I didn't see Skylar Thompson doing this. What Brock Purdy is real, and he's here, and I think he deserves a little more respect from you because, I don't know, I, I, I feel like they don't need superstar performances from Brock Purdy to win a Super Bowl. They just Honestly, need him to be steady. And he has never not been steady. He He's on my list. He's on my list of guys to really watch everything because he's only played like five or six games. It's easy to go through and just watch all of Brock Purdy. But I just, I don't know. I'm not willing to just bow down and be like, Oh, because he's a Kyle Shanahan quarterback. Like he, he's got what it takes. To take it. He's a rookie. Like it takes time. The playoffs are different. Like I, I just, I, I have some. I, I don't know. Do you understand where I'm coming from, Trey? Or am I just totally out of my mind to think that it might not be super easy for Brock Purdy in the playoffs? You're muted. I think. Jeez, <laughs> y'all, y'all really took the whole energy out of the whole Bob Purdy situation. <laughs> ah, jeez, look, man. I mean, look, he's doing what Kyle Shanahan is asking him to do, which is make the easy throws, make the throws that aren't really asked of him to make, and avoid mistakes, man. And he's doing all that right now. I mean, it does help that he has a really impressive supporting cast. I mean, any Mr. Irrelevant quarterback would love to throw to Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, and Brandon Ayuk. It certainly makes things easier, 100%. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, and I don't think it's been anything crazy or elite. He's just doing what the team is asking him to do. And 
avoid mistakes, which is what Kyle Shanahan has asked a lot out of Jimmy G. Um, he asked that out of Trey Lance before he got hurt. So, I mean, look, we'll see how long it can carry him. Usually those type of quarterbacks uh, don't uh, advance that far in the playoffs because teams usually just find ways to figure that quarterback out and make life difficult. But um, we'll see. It's it's just an it's just a unique situation because the 49ers uh, skill position group is so rich with talent and playmaking that uh, maybe it could work and maybe it could uh, give the 49ers a chance at extending their little stay in the playoffs. But we'll see. It should be interesting, though, uh, because I, I really love watching the 49ers skill position uh, group go to work. Really talented, uh, really entertaining, make for some good football. So uh, we'll see. Certainly should be interesting, though. I I personally think it works, and, and it's because it's not really the quarterback's offense. It's Kyle Shanahan's. And he has made it work with so many dudes. And, it, it, you know, if they, they took this guy and he believes in him, and, I mean, clearly he's putting up high 60% completion right now. And I know, you know, none of that's playoffs and it's a short, you know, small small sample size and all. But I think that also works in his benefit a little bit. There's not a lot of pro tape on him. And so every time, you know, he steps on the field, it does put a little more tape on him. Maybe he gets through the playoffs without people having enough to really – lock down everything that he's capable of and they can squeak through to a Super Bowl and win it with him. Brock Purdy believers unite. Let's go. We got you and we got we got YB. He's a big Brock Purdy guy. He's mentioned it a couple of times. Okay, I, I just don't think he needs to do all that much to be successful and to I'm take just, that team far. I'm just so That's dumb with people telling me like he and Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey has carried so many dead corpses over finish lines. Okay. I'm not trying to tell you, Eric, that Brock Purdy is anything more than an average system quarterback. He is playing in one of the greatest systems I have ever seen, right? Like, this is – Shanahan is this a is wizard. Turn that Ryan into yeah, and, and you're telling me, okay, when the system beats Patrick Mahomes, I'll believe you. Okay, well, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I, I didn't say they're winning a Super Bowl. I just said they could very conceivably make it out of the end. Listen, if they run into the Chiefs, that's a different story. The Chiefs drop like 45. If they run into the Chiefs, the Bills, the <laughs> Bengals. The Chiefs, hey, the, AFC, the AFC is rich with gunslingers who can absolutely make things happen in under 60 Hell, so I would take the Los Angeles Chargers over the San Francisco that's rid- That is such a that, bad that take. Is just, that's that's a terrible take. The Chargers are about Without to be going going That's a ridiculous take. I'm just saying. It's just – it's – Eric, I want you to consider this, all right? Jimmy Garoppolo – has oh, I'll, I'll say this the other way around. Brock Purdy has almost as many touchdowns as Jimmy G did in this system in almost half as many games. Like and four right now. He's edited. He is. He doesn't need to be a superstar here. The Niners are good enough to win a Super Bowl because the defense is incredible. There's insane playmakers. Mm, like no. the I, fact I, Vegas is giving the Niners ten points over the Seahawks is so wildly disrespectful to the Seahawks. No, it's the, not. There are the so Seahawks much better than the are Seahawks. going to keep this game very, very close, and it would not shock me if they won. The Seahawks are going to play very well and lose by ten points. I don't, I don't, I don't know why you have this deep seated hatred for Brock Purdy. I don't know what he did to you. But I think you know it's what I think that. Is, I'm just I tired think this of people because I think this is because 
we were making jokes about Brock Purdy ending the season with more touchdown passes than Russ. And I think that struck a nerve. And I think that's where this hatred is coming from. But I want you to know, Brock Purdy, listen, it's all right. Listen, I could be wrong. I have you not are wrong. Watched... You just said the Chargers were better than the Niners. I've not watched about? a ton of Brock Purdy. Oh my but god! I'm telling you, this guy is not Josh Allen. Like, stop I'm not saying that he's Josh Allen. You're not, but the national media is talking. No, about they, him. they're just saying. They're just saying he's 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 a he's a good player. He, listen, he Brock Purdy, fourth best quarterback in the NFC playoffs, maybe the fifth. I'm just saying Brock Purdy is out was outpacing Justin Herbert in this sample set stats stats wise. Absolutely you know, just, not. That's I'm disgusting. That That's a Herbert hate take from you. <laughs> I'm not Herbie. a Herbert hater. I'm just saying that to, to suggest to suggest that these Chargers are better than these Niners is so blatantly disrespectful to the entire city of San Francisco. I don't I don't know what to tell you. I I think I think Brock Purdy, I'm not saying that he's going to be the reason they win, but he's not going to be the reason they lose. That's all I'll say. All right. Finally, the Eagles. The only question for the Eagles, literally the only question for the Eagles, is how quickly can Jalen Hurts return to form? Because if he can figure it out and get back to how he was playing before he got hurt, in two weeks with a bye and get fully healthy. To me, the NFC playoffs are an exercise in futility. The, the, the Eagles are going to be the NFC representative to the Super Bowl. That's the only thing I know about the NFC playoffs. Anything else could happen there, I'm willing to admit that. But no one is making it to the Super Bowl that is not the Philadelphia Eagles. That's what I know. Oh, man. Look, like, look, you said it. If Jalen Hurts returns to form, I think the Eagles ride to the Super Bowl. 100%. I, I, gosh, that roster is stacked, man. Two legit starting quarters, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. He's a really good hybrid piece in that secondary as well. That defensive line is good. That linebacker core is good. Best offensive line in football. One of the best wide receiver cores in all of football. One of the best rushing attacks in all of football. They just have it all, man. Um, but really, when you know, like Eric said, the only thing that might stop them is just Jalen Hurts really uh, returning to form uh, after returning from the injury that caused him to miss some times. Um, as well as maybe their run defense might be a little leaky at times. Uh, we saw what the Saints did to that run defense a couple of weeks ago, and they were running the ball down their throat. Uh, from the start of the game to the end of the game. It, it was a, a, a pretty sad sight to watch. But if they can get that under control, then Jalen Hurts' uh, rustiness is probably the only concern that they might have. Um, generally, sometimes that might be like a, a more bigger concern than people might think uh, because we've seen some players, you know, be out for a couple games of the regular season, try to come back in the playoffs, just haven't looked the same. Um but maybe it's different with Hurts uh, because they don't ask him to do a whole crazy bunch of complicated things in that scheme uh, because the talent just simply speaks for itself, um, as well as the scheme, which makes things simple for a lot of that offense. So um, Eagles look about as complete as a team as anybody in the league, um, aside from the Chiefs. Um, so if all goes well, and which it should, um, then they'll just coast to the championship game and probably even the Super Bowl.
All right. With that, we'll call it a night. This has gone longer than I wanted it to, uh, as per usual. Um, Brock Purdy, Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, that's Here really what we've... that's really what drug it over with. <laughs> The timeline, but it. Lo- I hope it's entertaining. I think the we're- run defense sounds like San Francisco could take advantage. Uh, yeah, I, I think. I just think. Yeah, I think. I, think the, I just want to say it. I, I think that right when we get so into ve- debate, that's when this shows at its best. You're you're so vehemently pro Eagles. I'm not an Eagles disrespecter, but if you're taking if you're taking the Eagles, they can be your Eagles. I'm taking the Niners. I think I picked the Niners to the Super Bowl in our prediction episode at the start of the season. So, you know what? I'm going to ride them all the way. Niners to the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy, my guy. We'll okay. See. All right. All right. We'll be back Wednesday. Uh, probably just me, Mason, and uh, Bradford. There will be a lot of talk Wednesday. It, it'll drag on uh, as as AFC uh playoff previews do then if you know if we cover everything we think we need to cover we might not do a third episode but i do think having a third episode that, that's just a little bit shorter giving our picks is a good place to be I, I like to do score predictions and i'd like to keep records during the playoffs of how we feel about about where these oh. games are going um boys thank you so much for listening uh Folks, thank you so much for listening. People all around the world, we appreciate you for listening to this podcast. And I'm going to be better at tweeting them out. I know over the holidays it got kind of tough and I wasn't tweeting them out uh, as frequently. This, I'm going right in. We'll, we'll time stamp it. It'll be great. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll uh, tweet this out later tonight and tomorrow as well. So, so check for that on your timelines and give us a retweet if you're listening to this at Pod on Twitter. Dre, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Yes, sir, man. Appreciate it. Take care, oh. boys. Yep. Peace out, all. <laughs> <laughs>